Good morning, travelers, pre-med students, and undergraduates. Welcome to Doctors Inn. This is where medical experiences are shared, study strategies are examined, and life lessons with a sprinkle of advice and habits are served. This podcast features proactive physicians who have taken strides toward global, public, gender, and mental health initiatives to ultimately improve healthcare around the world. Join me, MD Hawk, and my co-host Natalia Krutovska as we deconstruct the journey of medicine with our guests. Three, two, one, and we are live. Today we are joined by Dr. David Janicek, who is an anesthesiology resident, actually in his final year, at the University of Illinois Chicago Department of Anesthesiology. He completed both his undergrad and medical school at the University of Iowa. While he was a medical student at the University of Iowa Carver's College of Medicine, Dr. Janicek served in the Medical Admissions Committee for two consecutive years. He has reviewed hundreds of applications through the committee and was a key voice in the admissions process. Through his experience and dedication, Dr. Janicek founded Get Admitted MD, an affordable, reliable, and accessible advisory firm for pre-med students. He offers one-on-one mentorship and an online course that highlights insider knowledge, training, and teaching tools through the platform. Besides his promise to see talented students get into medical school, Dr. Janicek also lives a busy life as a physician entrepreneur and educator. For more information on Dr. Janicek's teachable courses and his advisory firm, you can follow the Instagram handle at GetAdmittedMD. And so without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Janicek to the inn. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here and uh, really just want to share any uh, any knowledge I can and answer any questions uh, that you guys have. That's amazing. I honestly thank you so much for taking your time out for this podcast. We know how busy it can be, especially as a resident. So we're all very excited to have you. As we said, you're, you served in the admissions committee. And I think it's an honor just because we kind of get an insight we don't usually get. Before we get into all of that, how is everything going? How is it going in Chicago? It's good. Um, you know, back in uh, April of 2020, it got a little rocky here in Chicago. Um, they actually pulled us uh, residents out of the hospital for a little bit to, to protect us. And uh, once we came up with good protocols and everything like that, you know, they got us back in there and uh, we began taking care of patients again. Since then, it's, you know, kind of back to normal with just a little bit of, uh, you know, extra precautions. And, you know, we wear our uh, PPE or protective uh, equipment, and um, we go kind of go about our day. Um, in terms of residency, I like you said, I'm in my final year, so I have about four months left, and I'll graduate in June. Nice, nice, congrats. Thanks. I'm super happy about that, and then I'll be going on to a fellowship down in New Orleans, so I'll be doing a cardiothoracic anesthesiology fellowship down there. So I'm really looking forward to that and getting out of this uh, frigid Chicago uh, weather that we're currently having and, uh, you know, getting a little bit warmer climate. Congrats again on the graduating year. I mean, that is very exciting. It's I, I can imagine, especially as a resident, having these long hours and then now finally just shifting it back to a little normal, but obviously not as normal as we would hope uh, for it to be. Now, before we get into kind of the lifestyle of an, an anesthesiologist, we would kind of want to segue into Get Admitted MD. Um, I think it is very important. Uh, So there are many existing pre-med advisory firms out there, but I know that Get Admitted MD, when I first took a look at it, is very different. And I just want 
insight on what sets your operations to be different than other firms? So, um, you know, I think we're very different in a, in a few different ways. So first of all, you know, I don't know how other firms, the experiences of their individuals, but uh, the fact that I did serve on an admissions committee for two years kind of gives me that insider look that, you know, I, I've uh, seen a whole host of applications from really, really good to really, really bad and everywhere in between. I use that experience to kind of help guide other students to not make the mistakes that I've seen happen in the past. Alongside that, you know, I'm still close enough to the application process that I think I can relate to uh, pre-meds a little bit better than some of the other firms out there that maybe are a little further out from kind of the medical school days. And then the other, you know, really important part is I try to be as accessible as possible. If you work with me, I typically give you my, my cell phone number and you can just text me kind of questions along the way when deadlines are coming up, uh, oftentimes pre-med students that I work with will just text me and have a quick question. Um, and so I, I really want to be an accessible resource uh, to students. And, you know, that's kind of based on the fact that I'd never had that when I went through the process. So, you know, when I went through the process, I had no one to help me. I'm the first doctor in my family. So I couldn't really ask anyone uh, for advice. And, you know, I had a couple friends that year, you know, they were a year ahead of me um, at the University of Iowa and I asked them for advice, but it really wasn't anyone that, you know, knew what the process was like on the inside. So I try to bring that knowledge to everyone that uh, I work with. If I can make it easier on them, then I'm doing my job well. So yeah, giving back. That's awesome. So you're also on Teachable, which is a platform that allows you to to provide coaching services and just online services in general. How would you say that that platform uh, differs a little bit? And what ways can students leverage those lessons from that preparatory course that you provide? And in what way is that advisory different? Sure. Um, so yeah, I uh, taking a step back, I started my Get Admitted MD company back in 2018, and it was based on just one-on-one consulting. This past year, I decided to join Teachable uh, to kind of provide a uh, kind of a do-it-yourself method. And so what I did was I, I created a whole host of videos, you know, on the Teachable platform to guide you through the medical school admissions process, um, starting from, you know, what is involved to American Medical College application service, um, what are the components, when are the due dates, when should you be working on these things. And I stepped through every component of the application from personal statements to letters of recommendation to the AMCAS uh, work activity section to uh, letter uh, letters of recommendation, you know, who should who should you ask? How should you ask them? Um, I basically bundled that all into one, um, you know, kind of course that uh, you can watch on your own pace in the do-it-yourself uh, do option. I also have a kind of an all-in package where I will actually combine the course with the one-on-one consulting. Um, and so I'll actually review all of your materials prior to submission uh, in that course as well. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, kind of a nice resource for students. I'm hoping it's a good resource for students in terms of knowing just more about the medical school admissions process from kind of my perspective. And, uh, you know, knowing what to do, what not to do. Um, and through that course, I also built in a, a fake pre-med. His name is Mark Med. Um, and basically, I take you through this, all the processes um, that I mentioned before with him and, and how he prepared his application. And so you kind of get a sense of what it takes and some, some different ways to think about the medical school application. Can I just say something real quick? I think it's very interesting you brought up this um, aspect. It's not just who you approach, it's also how you approach and how you communicate with the people that you are going to be reaching out to. And I think that is very important. So, I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. amazing that you also have this guided pre-med personnel that is kind of out there who's also exemplifying what you should be doing. And I'm assuming it's going to incorporate the ways and how to communicate with the other advisors, with other personnel in these uh, fields. Mm-hmm. 
definitely. Yeah. So to get kind of an inside scoop into some of the work that you do, and also in preparation for this interview, we did an Instagram poll and we asked our listeners to uh, provide any questions that they have for someone who has served on a med school admissions board. So uh, let's jump right into it. Sure. So the first question we've received was, what is the difference in admitting students at top medical schools compared to others besides the MCAT? Uh, so I guess like what characteristics are different about those medical schools? I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not a ton different. Um, you know, some of the top medical schools may just look at MCAT score and GPA a little bit more uh, thoroughly. Schools that maybe aren't considered at the top may look at individuals who have more of a well-rounded uh, you know, application in terms of maybe they did something else as well. You know, that kind of the big difference is the top medical schools will kind of screen out certain applications based on those characteristics, such as GPA and MCAT. If you don't have necessarily those top scores, you know, you may get screened out early on in the process. And so that's where kind of the other medical schools may may not screen you out because they may have lower, uh, you know, GPA and MCAT kind of requirements. So other than that, you know, many of the activities are the same. A lot of pre-meds do research, volunteering, shadowing, you know, leadership, you know, kind of as the kind of five categories. And so there's not a whole lot of difference there. Um, the students that go to the, the top medical schools, you know, maybe there's something on their application that just sparks the interest of that medical school. A lot of it boils down to the grades and, and MCAT and, and just the kind of overall screening process, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great answer. What I'm hearing from this is it's obviously the grades and the MCAT. And you did also say something about the fact that something that really shines or has a spark that really lets the applicant be standing out in the pool of the other thousands of applicants. And it seems like, would you say that applicant would have to fit a certain criteria that these admissions committees are looking for, like a type of personality or a type of person who they want to see or be married to for the next four years? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the medical schools can kind of see um, through your application what type of person you are. Are you altruistic? Are you giving your time to many different endeavors? Did you go out of your way to do something? Um, and, and, you know, I think they can kind of tell, you know, this is someone that we want, um, you know, kind of that initiative to, to go above and beyond. Um, and so that's really big in the, you know, kind of the medical school application process, because if they do that as an undergrad, you know, applying to medical school, they're most likely going to do that as a med student and beyond. And so that's going to look good upon their medical school. And that's going to look good upon them as when they do some sort of talk in the future or anything, you know, their medical school is going to be listed. So, you know, just having kind of that, that nature of, you know, initiative and being able to, to give back and everything and being altruistic, all those things go into having a successful application and being a good ambassador for that that medical school. Yeah, that's really well put. Um, another question we received was, is there a specific part of the medical school application that is counted more highly than the other? Not necessarily. So what I would say is, like I mentioned before, you know, the, the grades and then the MCAT are, are kind of more as a screening tool uh, for the medical schools. They receive thousands of applications every year. And so they kind of have to set some sort of limits in terms of we are going to focus on this group of individuals. After that, you know, it, it's more personal statement is obviously pretty heavy, you know, just kind of why you're going into medicine, um, you know, in the first place, um, most medical school admissions committees can kind of sniff out the people that are going going in for the wrong reasons, um, especially, you know, seasoned medical school committee members, they can, you know, really sniff that out very well. And so, you know, just having that kind of ability to portray your true desires to go into medicine for the right reasons can really help you stand out. In the old days, five, six years ago, they would say, it, it kind of comes down to like kind of the, the checklist, you have to do shadowing, you have to do research, you have to do volunteering, you have to do all these things. 
And there was also this notion that you had to fill all of your AMCAS activities slots, so 15 activities. Over the last two to three years, that's kind of disappeared, to be honest. And, and so it's more quality over quantity. And so being able to kind of show that you're interested in medicine, you're dedicated to medicine, but not necessarily getting into kind of the checklist of, you know, I have to do these certain activities, you know, in order to be successful. Um, it's more about, you know, kind of what you want to do and what you're interested in. Um, and that's going to help you also shine through on your interview because they'll ask you about those activities. And if you can talk about them for any period of time and you seem very passionate about them, it's going to look much better than if you you know, provide shallow answers. And if you kind of just say, oh, yeah, I did that, but you can't really back it up in terms of why you did that or what you learned from it. You said something about a checklist mentality, and I think that is very well put. One of the other questions we had was many pre-med students, again, follow this checklist mentality where they have to have 500 hours of clinical, 300 hours of non-clinical volunteering, 500 hours of research, internship, leadership, and you did kind of segue into this or explain Mm -hmm. a little bit of this. You said that it's not really an excellent way to go about this, right? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, it's kind of the old style of thinking about the medical school application and it's the old way of, you know, filling all your activities, doing all these things. You have to have this number of hours. You have to do this. You have to do that. I think enough uh, people have realized that that's not the case anymore. And medical schools want students to do what they want and, you know, kind of explore their, you know, their, their interests, their options, instead of just saying, I have to do 500 hours of, you know, volunteering, or I have to do 300 hours of shadowing. Cause then it's just, you're, you're doing it because, you know, you have, you feel like you have to, and it's not something that you're necessarily interested in. I think shying away from that aspect and, you know, not kind of just shooting for a number of hours is kind of crucial in terms of, you know, finding what you're really passionate about and finding, you know, what you're really interested in as a pre-med. And that will shine way further than just having 500 hours or 300 hours, you know, just to kind of fill the box, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all doing things that you actually enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. So another question was, what are the top three mistakes that are typically made by students uh, when applying to med schools, whether it's in their application or in during the interview process? For the example that this person used was, what stood out to you? Like, oh, wow, John and Jill could have been an amazing candidate. They have everything. But what would you say is the deal breaker? Yeah, so there's a lot of things that you could mention. Probably more commonly, you know, going into it for the wrong reasons. You know, maybe their 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 parent was a physician, um, or both of their parents were physicians, and that that was like their sole reason for going into medicine. I've read many applications that that was basically their reason for going into medicine. Their family was all in medicine, and um, that's not necessarily you know it could be correct in some instances, but it's really you know it it just kind of shines through that you're not necessarily super passionate about it. You know, maybe you're you know you want to go for the legacy aspect. Um, and, and, you know, that that's fine to some extent, but like, you know, if that's your sole reason for going into medicine, it just seems a little, you know, maybe shallow. Um, and then, you know, it comes down to preparation. So, you know, you can kind of tell that the, the folks that took the time to prepare their application, um, not just the personal statement, but also their, you know, work activity section. Um, you know, sometimes they would just write very brief descriptions. Um, and so for each of those 15 activities, you can write up to 700 characters to describe what you did, what you learned from it, how it will help you in the future, all those sorts of things. Uh, and so if you don't take the space to describe those things, um, you know, it just looks like you did because you were just kind of lazy and, and didn't take the time. And so, you know, writing one sentence, two sentences that, you know, really don't describe anything definitely made your application, you know, look like you just threw it together last minute. Um, And then same thing with the personal statement. If you only wrote 2,500 characters out of the 5,300 characters, it kind of just looks like you didn't take the time to really think about why you're going into medicine and and so on and so forth. Um, Also going alongside that, uh, you know, kind of preparedness aspect, 
individuals who submit late. Um, you know, it, it's still possible to, to get accepted later on in the season, but if you don't take the time to prepare early and, and you know, get everything done um, on time, it can be very challenging once the interview spots are, you know, filling up and, you know, they're kind of down to a premium, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be less successful than those that start early, get their application submitted early um, and, and get that whole process going. But I just wanted to kind of reiterate was that you are given a certain amount of space to write down your personal statements, to write down your experience section. And according to you, it just seems like you really need to make use of that space and make use of it to make sure that your personality shines because you only have one space to really show to them who you really are. Like, is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. So, you know, mainly for the personal statement, because obviously that's your that's your opportunity to really talk about who you are and, and why you want to do medicine. Um, and so I'm not saying you have to have exactly these 5,300 characters or, or fill the entire space. But, you know, if you do have, you know, 3,000 or less, um, even 4,000 or less characters, it kind of just, you know, it, it looks short when we're at, when we're reviewing the applications in the application system that we see on the other side. Um, and you can kind of just tell most of us probably don't look at exactly, oh, you only wrote 3,000 characters. But, you know, you can kind of tell someone who, you know, filled, you know, enough space to really think through everything and, and be thorough and, um, you know, really show off why they want to be, you know, a physician um, versus the individuals who kind of just caught, you know, they, they just threw something in there and, you know, maybe they didn't think enough about it or maybe they didn't uh, prepare enough for it. Maybe they submitted late and they didn't have time to write through everything. For the activity section, you know, obviously 700 characters isn't a lot, so it's pretty easy to fill. And so if you don't take the time to, you know, at least do a good job of, you know, trying to fill it, then, you know, once again, that just looks like you, you didn't take the time and, you know, maybe it's something that was rushed, you didn't think through it, all those sorts of things. It's interesting that you mentioned that um, and that you place a lot of emphasis on that as well. Is that something that you had seen a lot before that people don't fire application? Yeah, it's not super common, but it's something that I have seen. And from the reviewing aspect, it, it just kind of puts a negative light on your application from the start, whether or not it's something that you threw together or if it's something that you just chose, you know, not talk about a lot. For me, it was more something that, you know, I wanted to see that you did the effort. And, you know, like I said, 700 characters is not that long. So it's like a paragraph typically. So if you don't even take the time to fill out well-rounded paragraphs, then I guess what corners will you take later on or, or anything like that? So this says a lot about kind of your application just by you know, looking at uh, how, how complete you, you were with your, you know, your answers and everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. For as much advice as I've heard throughout my pre-med journey and throughout podcasts with interviewing everyone, that's the first time I've ever heard that piece of advice. So I'm sure that's also insightful for others. I think this will be the final question that we ask from the Instagram poll, but because we got this question quite a lot. So how can social media influence the candidacy of an applicant? For example, Kini picks or like the Medkini controversy things along those lines. But we've got that question kind of a lot. So social media impact on your med school application. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So unfortunately, like it's, it's out there um, in terms of, you know, medical schools sometimes do look at those things. They will Google you. I personally never did when I was looking through applications. It takes a lot of time to do that. And yeah, I was a med student at the time I was uh, you know, reviewing applications in the committee. So I never, you know, had time to really look up individuals. But I do know that it does happen in terms of not just bikini pics or anything like that. You know, your entire social media is just... Uh, you know, you drinking or out, you know, it, it looks like you're you're partying a lot or anything like that it can have a negative aspect on your on your application. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Physicians are subject to kind of having very, you know, high moral standards and they don't want, you know, medical schools don't want you to have any issues later on. And so 
I, I don't know if there was anyone at my on my committee that I worked on that actually did that. Personally, like I said, I did not do that. In terms of, you know, kind of the bikini pick uh, um, idea, I, I think that's less so. You know, I, I think it's more kind of more drinking, you know, any sort of insinuation that there's, you know, possibly drug use or anything like that. So I guess another question related to that was, is there like a screening process for social media? I'm assuming that we got this question a lot because we did it through an Instagram poll, but <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> So um, you know, I guess the general advice I always give is, you know, just make sure there's nothing on your, you know, social media that, you know, you don't want your mother to see kind of a good way to think about it. And I think that would provide enough, you know, kind of safety, um, just in terms of um, making sure you're not uh, going to look negative to any committee, you know, make sure your privacy settings are turned on. So you're not, your, your profile is not shown to any other individuals that aren't your friends. Those are some ways to kind of combat that. That is kind of... Uh, very well put. And thank you for the insight. We really did not really know about behind the scenes of social media usage. But anyways, what we wanted to kind of segue into was the life of an anesthesiologist and your life as a resident, how you're managing your time with obviously so many like entrepreneurial aspects of your life as well, like your teachable course. You obviously have to spend a lot of time making that and putting that out there. And you're, you constantly have to put an effort for the advisory firms being in constant connection with your students. So how do you really manage all that? What is the way to, because everyone has the same 24 hours. So what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of tackle the residency question first. Um, you know, kind of the life of an anesthesia resident is not easy. You know, typically we're at the hospital very early in the morning, you know, to set up our operating rooms, you know, typically 6 a.m. or before. Um, you know, surgery typically starts, you know, it depends on your hospital, but for mine, it's usually 7.30. Um, and so you got to be ready, see the patient, you know, get everything set up um, and, and ready to roll at 7.30. In terms of getting out uh, of the hospital each day, it's highly variable. Um, and so that's one thing I've found throughout residency is not like a uh, clinic-based setting where you, you kind of have an idea when you might get out. Your last patient scheduled for 4 p.m. You know, it may take an hour. So probably 5 p.m. is, you know, when you'll you'll be able to get out. Anesthesia is so different in that, you know, there's add-ons, there's emergency cases that have to be done. So, you know, one day you might get out at 1 or 2 p.m. The next day you get out at 9 p.m. It's just really variable, especially as a resident. And we're kind of at the mercy of, you know, surgeons and, um, you know, what cases they want to add on, everything like that. So, um, I think that's probably one of the hardest aspects I've seen, you know, being a resident is just can't tell your loved ones, you know, I'll be home at a certain time because you really don't know. And even when you do have some idea, um, there's an add on or there's something that will change your schedule and then you have to stay later. And then, you know, it's kind of just balancing those things can be very difficult at times. You know, with that being said, we're not typically surgeons uh, and, and surgery residents. Um, so we're not working the hundred hours a week that, you know, sometimes those individuals are. So, you know, my hours are about 60 to 65 hours a week, I'd say on average. And so that's not too terrible in terms of residency. Obviously, some residencies are longer hours than others. In terms of tending life as an anesthesiologist, it really just depends on your job. You can find some jobs that are like 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., 6 to 4, 7 to 5. You find more shift work jobs. So it, it kind of decreases that unpredictability, if you will. Obviously, if you're on call, you're going to stay later. The other thing is, you know, anesthesiologists are very variable in terms of what they can do. You know, they could be ICU intensivists. They can be OR are anesthesiologists, they can be pain, uh, chronic pain management doctors. You know, there's such variety in anesthesia, so you can kind of make it whatever you would, whatever you want. 
um, and, and, you know, you have that ability fairly easily um, in terms of, you know, you go through a four-year residency, um, and then after that, you can really, you know, you can go on to a fellowship um, like I am, but, you know, you don't have to. You can practice, you know, get a great job after the four years. So, um, you know, it's one of those fields that a fellowship is not required. It's more of a personal choice, right? and whether or not you want that extra training and, and you know, give up another year of your life, uh, you know, for, for training. And then, you know, it's like uh, circling back to, you know, kind of having an entrepreneurial um, side hustle, if you will. Um, it's tough. Um, you know, obviously, I'm in the hospital a variable amount of time each day. Um, and so really, my time to work on it is my vacations and my evenings and weekends. Um, and so, you know, you kind of just find time whenever you can. Um, so typically, I come home and, you know, I cook dinner, you know, take my dogs out. And then, you know, I work on the intermittent MD stuff. So, you know, it can be kind of a grind. And, you know, you kind of just have to find the time to do it. Um, luckily, as a resident, we don't take as many, you know, we definitely don't take as many exams as, you know, in med school or uh, as an undergrad. So we're not studying all the time. Um, you know, we, we kind of have periods of the you know year where we have to study a little bit more, but not like an every night thing that we have to study. And so that is nice because I can, you know, when I have a test coming up, I know I can dedicate the time to study for it. But then outside of that, I have time, you know, in the evenings and, you know, uh, weekends that I'm not on call to kind of work on the other aspects of my life. Yeah. What would, what would one piece of advice be that you would give your undergraduate self or your school self? Uh, things will get better. I kind of get stuck in this mindset, you know, at least I did when I was an undergrad that, so I, I didn't get in my first year applying. I had to reapply and I thought it was the end of the world at the time. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, you know, I've prepared for this many years, what's going to happen. And so basically looking back, like, you know, many students don't get in their first year and they go on to become fantastic doctors. And so, you know, everything will get better. Each step of the way is a little bit better. Undergrad very, you know, kind of hard in terms of not knowing if you're going to get into med school or not. Med school is hard because there's a lot of information and a lot of expectations of yourself. Residency is a little bit different. It's more of apprenticeship style. So you're really learning your craft and whatever specialty you're going into. And so you, you know, you kind of, it's more of a job, you know, you finally get start getting a small paycheck each step of the way, it just gets better. So, you know, not kind of focusing on the near term, you know, focus on the, the long term, I would say is kind of the, the biggest thing I would say. Okay, I think we're actually near the end of the episode. Uh, we usually ask our guests for one quote or piece of advice that they would say, but it seems like you've already kind of given that, you know, things will get better. And it is okay. So thank you so much for that. Now, if anyone in the audience has any questions or interest in learning more about anesthesiology, entrepreneurship, being a physician entrepreneur, get admitted MD, your advisory firm, and of course, your teachable course, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can either email me at david at getadmittedmd.com or they can also reach out to me through my website. That's www.getadmittedmd.com. Uh, and the teachable link is getadmittedmd.teachable.com. And so they can find me any of those places. Also on Instagram, like you guys mentioned already, my profile is uh, at getadmittedmd. They can reach out there, DM me. I'm happy to answer any questions they have. And, uh, you know, I just want to be accessible for everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. Chenizek, honestly, for taking your time on for this. We know how busy it is, as we said, and we really appreciate your time, especially with everything else that you have going on. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I had a lot of fun. All right. Uh, a major thank you to all you lovely homo sapiens who stopped by Doctors In. Obviously, all the show notes can be found on www.doctorsandpodcast.com. You can also just search up Doctors and Podcast on Instagram and YouTube to watch the animated videos that we do for every single episode. Now, I think that is all. And um, thank you so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.